Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we are discussing the Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4 two-episode premiere, Tuvix, and I have no bones, yet I must flee. I just want to say that I love the title of Tuvix, but once again, they have failed to take the well-being of podcasters into consideration. <laughs> because we are just We're in not... for years of confusion. Truth. But isn't it a good time to be a Voyager fan? It is. I'm so happy for us. Honestly, a yeah. series of Voyager-related obstacles is both my life and the title of my autobiography. I mean, I, I just was laughing <laughs> and smiling throughout the entire episode because <laughs> there were so many moments of just, let's throw this random visual gag in here. And I got it. And I was happy every time. I think what's great <laughs> about Lower Decks is that, you know, you flip from the A plot to the B plot and each way I'm like, oh, I forgot this was happening and this is so good. Each plot was so engaging that I couldn't actually tell you which is meant to be the A plot and the B plot. It was delightful because it was really like two parallel plots because they were on yeah, different ships yeah. on, on both of the ships. And so, I, I guess the title wants us to think that the Tuvix plot is the the main one, but also it's a pun, so you always go for the pun when you can have one. We have screeners for the first eight episodes of this season, and there are some amazing episode titles coming our way. I'm excited for the fandom, and I'm also excited for the pun fandom. They really threw their all into it, <laughs> and I, I applaud them for it. Lower Decks continues to be the, the Star Trek where it takes all the Star Trek nonsense mm. and makes fun of it while also absolutely putting it on a pedestal oh, to yes. say, like, how brilliant this is. I saw the title and I was like, oh, we're going to have Tuvix discourse again, which is my least favorite type of discourse. But honestly, I think the fact that the new hybrid, the the Shacks, Billups, Tillops, that's that's their name. The fact that Tillops is an asshole and goes straight to taking over the ship really, I think, diverts some of the discourse, but also serves to confirm my feeling, which is that Tuvix was terrible and deserved to die. Because they did debate it and they did have moments. But my favourite part of all of the Tuvix discourse that was in the Tuvix episode... Mm was when Captain Freeman read the log and was like, what? This is horrible. <laughs> and then they were like, well, we can just go to Starfleet. And I was like, exactly. Yes, yes. You 100%. Have, you have understood Voyager. That's all. I just want acknowledgement that they were not in Federation space. They were not in the place where these things could be taken care of easily and quickly. No. The Federation, according to Lower Decks, has a whole star base where weird transporter accident people get to hang out in a great resort until they get fixed. Um, and also, like, okay, I, I, I know we were like, we're not going to do two big discourse, and we're just going to, we're totally going to do two big discourse. But I also just want to say that having two officers mm. when your crew is tiny right. and you're surrounded right. by enemies is better than one officer, especially when the two officers are your chief of security and like 
the conscience of the entire ship. Mm. And the guy that is like his role on the ship is to get you through this place because he's the only one from here. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think Janeway was completely justified. And I also think it was murder. And we can have these two thoughts in our head at the same time. Yeah, it was an impossible choice that she had to make. Right. So she did. Really, my beef with Tuvik's discourse is, A, it's kind of repetitive and it's just been going on for so long, but also yes, that is... it's used as a stick to beat Janeway and similarly morally ambiguous decisions from male captains are never held against them to this degree. Captain Pike every wants time... a child to die. And every time we mention that, at least three people pop up to tell us that he did his best. Mm. That he really felt sad about it. And that was enough. Yeah. He he did, yeah. like, you know, fight that one guy, get knocked down immediately, and then leave. Mm. Mm. And that was enough. Whatever. It's fine. Oh, gosh. I don't want to prolong the discourse, but I actually think Tuvix and Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach are bad episodes for the same reason, in that they set up this big moral quandary and then go, hey, this is really hard, and walk away really exactly. makes you think to me they're bad episodes because they won't commit to the bit basically right. we're not saying that they have to tell us which is the right side it's like you have to have the conversation yeah, you can't just yeah. be i'm going to create the situation i'm going to put it all in the captain and then we're gonna move on in the next episode and we're never going to talk about that again mm, yeah except um, online for 50 years oh my god I will grow old and die and people will still be arguing about two Vicks. Whereas here, I think the most controversial thing that I can say about the hybrids in this episode is that the Shax Barnes hybrid is really hot. You want them to step on you? Uh, That's the vibe I got. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be alone in this. Put it this way. No one else has seen these episodes yet. I might be an outlier to a thoroughly embarrassing degree. Yeah. There is going to be so much discussion mm. of this entire episode and all of the hybrids. And uh, I mean, Talips was actually hilarious because Ta'ana and Billups are opposites. They're very yes. Neelix Tubic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that worked great. And then, as you say, he just immediately does the heel turn and becomes. Like he's going to take over the Federation for two bigs kind, which is hilarious and a really good summation of the two bigs discourse. Yeah. Is that it takes over everything. Oh my gosh. And you have to. That is such a great observation and much, much smarter than the observation I was going to make, which is that we have this curator who has turned Voyager into a museum, but also changed it the way we as fans put something on a pedestal, but it's always our own interpretation. Yes, yes, very much so. Yeah, I really liked the Voyager as a, it's a museum, but it's like a like, it's, like, you know, Jordy has a museum and he's mm. very, like, look at this beautiful ship and here's a spotlight on it and it's going to float mm. around with all the other pretty ships, like some kind of Christmas tree. Mm. And here it was like, 
out of Disneyland. Yes. It was full on animatronics <laughs> of, of lizard babies. And then they were just inviting all the children to come in and, and laugh at Voyager. It was amazing. <laughs> I like to think that this curator and Geordie like go to Starship Museum conferences and they're basically uh, academic frenemies. Yes. But also I think absolutely it's, uh, a social museum versus a museum where you just go and look at things and it's everything is a perfect recreation and you don't touch. I did a whole semester of like Museums 101, so that's the extent of my knowledge. Well, yeah, so I, I, you know, yes, I like me to Disneyland, but any children's museum mm. is also that. So there are museums that you go to with your class in second grade. Yes. And I, 100% that's what the Voyager Museum is. Whereas the Christmas tree, I don't, I'm sorry to call it a Christmas tree. Like, let's call it like Jupiter, yes. <laughs> the Jupiter Museum of Starships is everything is behind glass and mm. you, it's like an art museum. It's like going to the Louvre for your yes. second grade field trip. Yes. And I think this is two different types of museums and two different types of fandom. We have talked about how we don't really vibe with Starship fandom that puts the ships behind glass and who, who knows every type of Starship and gets excited when they see them. But we are the type who will go in and go, oh my God, lizard babies, and play with the interactive exhibits. That, that's it. Star Trek, to us, is an interactive exhibit. That's my yes. thesis for this episode. I love it. And also assimilated lizard babies. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was for me. <laughs> that was the best. I want one so badly. In Picard, when Seven says they turned Voyager into a museum, she then does not go on to tell Jack about the animatronic lizard babies that were briefly assimilated. He has to find that out for himself because some things oh, just, you do have to I have work. to write it now. Oh, please. Like, please. It's all my favourite things in one, one little box. <laughs> Truthfully, <laughs> I had stronger feelings about Voyager appearing here than I did in with any of the Starship porn in... Star Trek Picard. And I think it's, again, uh, Star Trek to Lower Decks is an interactive exhibit. They look at it with tremendous love and also not too much relevance. And yet important things it does take seriously, like Boimler and Mariner's friendship, which is really stronger than it's ever been. I'm so happy. It's, it's just beautiful. Beautiful in every way for both of them. I was so afraid that when Boimler learned that he might be promoted, he was keeping it from Mariner and she would like freak out like, oh no, you're, you're going to move away from me. You're going to move ahead of me. And it was the opposite of that. She suggested it and she has always intended to stay an ensign and she has always had him as her, her protege. And that's what protégés are for. They're to move past you. She's just so great. I love her so much. In Mariner's 27 years, she has learned more than Yoda in 400 <laughs> Look, that's not hard. Uh, Yoda <laughs> does not fit a lot of knowledge. He eventually this. learns it. I want to, before people yell at me, mm -hmm. he eventually learns it, but it takes him at least 430 something years. And also he has to die first. 
Like <laughs> that too. Ghost Yoda is much more wise. Ghost Yoda. <laughs> Oh, now I have to rate that too. Ghost Sorry. Yoda is much more wise. The essay. I, I, I'm just going to feed you ideas all morning. Amazing. But yes, Boimler and Mariner, again, it was that amazing friendship that makes the best command crew. Yes. And I, I just love this idea of Lower Decks saying that that is not unique to mm. a command crew. Yeah. That actually yeah. you can have that relationship and that support system all throughout the entire starship. And chain of command. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe the real Starfleet was the friends we made along the way. When Boimler apologizes for not believing her at the end of last season, that meant so much to me because I've been kind of a little bit mad at everyone about that. Like, I'm actually still holding a grudge against Jennifer in particular for that. Uh, I know a lot of people are kind of mad that the Mariner-Jennifer friendship fizzled out, but I'm like, hmm, I don't think Jennifer was right for her. Anyway, but Boimler, Boimler's a good dude. And they've appeared in live action together, which is a real bonding experience. And... But they don't talk about it. They talk about it so much. Like, <laughs> I know, they talk about it all the time. They just not with anybody else. That's why they're always going to be best friends. Yes. Yes. Because they won't be able to talk about it with anybody else. So they will always have to make up mm, mm. so that they can have that again. It's like trauma bonding, but it's shenanigans bonding. <laughs> shenanigans bonding. Hijinks bonding. Yes. Perfect. And then we have Tendi and Talin, who, you know, I don't think Talin is up for shenanigans or hijinks, but they're going to happen and she's just going to have to roll with it. And I'm very happy for her. And That's right. I love them and I ship them. As I said, I'm pretty okay with the Mariner-Jennifer relationship fizzling out. But because Star Trek has this problem where just the queer relationships kind of fall by the wayside, I do think we need to replace it with something else. And I think Tendi and Talin is the romance that we deserve. Fully on board, I got that from it too. Ten I mean, Tendi was so is super excited to have a science friend. Yes. But it also very much reads as a cute little crush. Oh, 100%. Which <laughs> is interesting because Tendi is very deliberately sort of asexual. She is the counterpoint to the hypersexualized Orion women that we've had literally going back to the cage. And I'm currently writing fic about a teenage Orion lesbian. And so how does Orion sexuality work is a question that I have unfortunately had to actually think about. Uh, at this point, I've probably thought about it more than, for example, the writers of Enterprise. Definitely. 100%. <laughs> you and I are very good at overthinking <laughs> and thinking more than all of the writers of Star Trek. But also I'm not building a foundation from scratch. I'm going, okay, Enterprise tells us that Orion women exude this pheromone that makes men absolutely bonkers. And they seem to be subordinate and enslaved, but actually they're the real people in power. And it's gross and rapey and just, you know, bad early 2000s uh, sexism all the way down. What does that look like with a real person? Mm, and so nice. Tendi seems to be in a lot of ways alienated from her Orion culture. 
she's kind of embarrassed about the mistress of the winter constellation thing she really deliberately downplays that side of herself and i would like to see tendy embrace her orion heritage this season and i would also like to see her embrace talin i would like to say mm-hmm. that i i like your read of tendy as asexual because of her mm-hmm. orionness as a reaction to that but i'm going to say it's vulcans are not not asexual that's exactly so it's actually a perfect relationship yes. they yes. and they take and have this amazing asexual romance mm. Mm. which would also be good representation that has never been seen in star yes. trek that they like play with the idea but then we have multiple seasons of multiple spocks right right saying nah but <laughs> <laughs> also if it wanted to be like uh you deliberately downplay your sexuality and I am from the most repressed culture in the entire galaxy and what if we tried to move beyond the boxes that we're in that would be really cool too I see a lot of ways for their romance to go uh, and I hope that I'm just not making it all up in my head speaking of relationships that I may have made up in my head do we think Ransom and Mariner are secretly hooking up I mean, there are definitely hints Mm. that, at the very least, they're stepping up on their flirtation. They're, like, Mm. angry flirtation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Push each other's boundaries and buttons Mm. type relationship. You know, minimum. That's on, that's in text. (laughs) But I would say that the subtext is that they... Yeah, I mean, it, it, I would not be surprised if it was a clandestine relationship that we do not know about, but will be revealed. Right, because in Those Old Scientists, she says, what would Ransom know? He sleeps on his front like a baby. Mariner, how do you know how Ransom sleeps? Yeah, I, tell us more. Yeah, yeah. How did you gain this information? Are there pictures? Right, and... pictures? <laughs> I don't want to take anything away from the fact that I actually love... That Ransom is like a huge himbo. The himboest of himbos ever in Star Trek. But for Mariner in particular, he actually like has a good mentor thing going on. You know, her mother can't mentor her. No, no. You know, and everyone else in the fleet has tried Mm, mm. and just, I guess, fed up and shoves her away and gives her to someone else. So... It's like she can be his little pet project. And so I would be fine if that was the entire relationship Mm. of just, I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And and I'm going to tease it out of you by playing along. Yes, yes. (laughs) By by playing your game. Because Ransom, he knows that he's not as smart as Mariner. And he also knows that there's no point in trying. Lots of commanding officers much smarter than him have tried to be smarter than Mariner but what he has is emotional intelligence and that's what she actually needs and I really like the idea that he is pushing her and promoting her and mentoring her and also separately they're having a clandestine kind of unprofessional (laughs) and problematic relationship fully on board oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) sounds perfect yeah excellent excellent idea yeah it's and... problematic, and I love it. <laughs> but whatever, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> problematic, but also. 
Sometimes I like it when we get a bit messy with the chain of command and the personal relationships. Hi, I'm a Janeway Chakotay chipper, shipper. You know, Ensign Gary was definitely like, so you yeah. guys are sleeping together, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening here. So we're not alone. When Ensign Gary mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, this is not just entirely in my head. Right, right. And again, it can go different ways, but it's there. Yes. And this is why, again, I think shipping to Tendi and Talin in canon is important because mm-hmm. breaking up Mariner's relationship with Jennifer and then moving her on to the most masculine straight man in all of Star Trek is kind of, you know... Trekkies have been predictably biphobic and unhinged about Spock and Chapel, and I don't expect that to change when it comes to Mariner. Like, oh no, it's going to be bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, is this another thing where I'm going to have to like? Yeah. Is it going to be the bad Beckett takes that like, <laughs> they're going to come flying at me, and I have to get my shields up? But I am prepared. Yes, because I multi ship. And I can see the relationships with everybody, and it does not negate the fact that Mariner and Jennifer had a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't really, like, I'm going to say, I'm super on board with Ransom and Mariner. They're not going to end up together. Oh, my God. It's, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not the, the romance of their lives. I mean, once again, people are allowed to have a casual fling for, mm-hmm. just for fun mm-hmm. and let it be. And He's not threatening, is what I'm saying. Right. He's not a threat right. to her bisexuality. Definitely not. And the thing about bisexuals is that they date people of all genders. And sometimes that includes whatever you would consider the opposite of their gender. So, die mad about it. I am delighted by the promotions because I thought that the promotion plotline would carry us through for the entire season and it would be like season finale, finally we get promoted. And it's like, nope, here's your pips. Off you go. I love it. Yeah, they get to move up. Okay, so who knows how many seasons of anything we'll get. Mm. Let's just play the Star Trek game and say seven seasons of Lower Decks. I don't want them to be captain by the end of seven seasons, but I really like the idea of moving up one little half pip at a time yes to a place where maybe maybe they go to other ships you know because they're all lieutenant commander or something and and they have to move on or you can be like a senior staff on a smaller ship when you're lieutenant so so i think that i wouldn't be surprised if the end of the series was we we got here together and now we have to go our separate ways but that doesn't mean that we have to give up on each other mm. which would be so healthy and mature of star yes. trek because on the opposite side yeah. we have things like the tos crew who never like sulu gets out good job sulu <laughs> he gets out he has his own command, and he has a family. He is the only one. Yeah, yeah. And then we have the next generation who, like, completely fall apart as soon as they are not together. Their careers are endish. And the only way that they have a happy ending is to come back, get their ship, and save the universe together. And then they can be happy. <laughs> and so, like, 
That's unrealistic. Yes. Spoilers for the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but that trilogy ends with the group going their separate ways and some people stay together, but the intent is that there are things that they can only do on their own, and when those things are done, they can come back together and have adventures again, but they don't need to be tied together and joined at the hip, and being able to separate is a win for them. And that's really what I want for everyone. Your found family should not be a cult, is what I'm saying. Right, right. So I would love for Lower Decks to go that way. Yes. Just, we are still the best of friends, but we are on different ships now with our mm -hmm. own careers. Mm -hmm. And then we can get back together and talk about all the amazing things that we separately saw. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think Discovery has been doing that, you know, letting Tilly go and Grey was able to go to Trill, and yet he's still part of the family. So I do think that some Star Treks get this, and then there's... Yeah, but, and then the fans complain about it. I know, but <laughs> fans don't know what they want. Oh, I know. I'm not saying the fans are right. I'm saying that that's what the problem is. I like the fact that Discovery actually, you know, has a core cast, but then there mm. are layers outside of them. So that it's, you're, you're not like, I've, I've lost this, yeah. this person. Picard did that too, too not for good reasons. But the idea was there that it was okay to have people sort of split off and do their own thing and then yeah. come together and work together. Yeah. I think because the stakes are lower on Lower Decks, then we're more mm. likely to get that. It's, it's not the end of the universe if everyone has to split off. But also if you know, years down the line, they gave us an animated movie where a message comes through from a mysterious alien specifically for Boimler and all of his friends get together to save the universe. I think that would be great. That would be so funny. Amazing. Yes, please. They have to steal the Cerritos from... <laughs> He's retired on his, on his raisin farm? Yes, yes. Please make this happen. Do we have to wait for Jack Quaid to age? Or do you think he just does a good old man voice now? Yeah, if, it, if it's animated, we can do it. We can do yeah. it. Yeah. Sooner. <laughs> but also, it would be super funny if Elnor and Soji and, like, the abandoned characters of Picard... Look, I'm just going to call Mike McMahon and pitch this to him now. <laughs> I have a great idea for you. <laughs> yeah. I am not a crank. <laughs> Do we have any theories yet about the season's villains? I, I mean, I felt like I should recognize that shit, but as we said earlier, I I don't pay attention no. to ships, so I, I do not. This is the downside of us getting screeners because there's no buzz. I can't go to Reddit and see what other people are thinking. Uh, right. I thought I recognized the ship from somewhere and then I realized I was confusing it with Boba Fett's ship. And I, know. I am prepared. Same. I was like, oh wait, that's a Star Wars ship. Yeah, yeah. I am prepared to but guess that it's not Boba Fett. It's not Boba Fett. It's not Ahsoka. No. They both have ships that do that. But mm. yeah, so so I don't know. I, I don't. I'm sure it's gonna be something ridiculous. So Oh yeah, it'll be like the Zindi or the Sulaban restarting the time war. Or, you know, no idea, can't wait to find out. Let's talk about episode two, I Have No Bones, Yet I Must Flee. What a great title. That's just so good this season. It's it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I love, you know, they've been, they 
I, it's been a recent thing because they were sticking with the boring titles mm. at the, the beginning. Discovery had like a couple now and there. They were very like, we're going to be Shakespeare and everything. Mm. But then they went away to that and went to the boring stuff. And then they were like, oh, well, maybe we'll have something fun. But more recently in all of the treks, yes. they've added back a little bit of the weirdness of, you know, all the way back to TOS. It was a TOS standard to make up a title that made no sense. Oh, yeah. It had nothing to do with anything, but was like, because you saw where it came from, but it you were sat there going, but what does it mean? And often- Or at least I means, did. No, no. And sometimes it just means nothing. For the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. Okay, dude. Cool. I, I wrote lyrics to that. I love this. So, but yes, so we start with the new villains. Last time they uh, blew up some Klingons, and now they're going to blow up some Romulans. First of all, I love these Romulans. I know, I know. I'm watching going, I want a whole series about Romulan lower deckers, <laughs> and the timeline doesn't work, but I like to think that this is how Laris and Shaban's youth went. But I really enjoyed those ridiculous Romulans, they were so good. So they were great. They were the the best arch Romulans. <laughs> it was just wonderful. They're scheming so hard. <laughs> this is getting in the way of my plan, my plotting. <laughs> it was excellent. So yes, more Romulans always. That's I'm, I'm always going to say more Romulans. Absolutely. Um, and, but yeah. so those are the those are the two data points we have is mysterious ship shows up and blows up one a enemies yeah, of, yeah. so they're going around i don't know i don't know what that means no all i know is that the ship looks familiar but could be from star wars and looks more advanced i'm gonna say than which is why you're you're going for the enterprise villains because they i mean Maybe Michael Burnham has cracked and traveled back in time to destroy the Federation so she can save it. I don't know. Seems controversial, but... All right. So I hate Discovery Season 2. However, mm. if it was Red and Angel nonsense, I would be okay with that. That would be fun. I will say... Because it would be making fun of mm. stuff that I hate. Uh, I will say it doesn't look ornate enough to be Red Angel nonsense. Sorry. It looks like some 29th century time ship nonsense. And my Voyager rewatch is up to relativity, so when I watch that in a few days, I'll report back. Time cops mm. is always, oh my God. always a good guess. It's Captain Braxton again. Or the <clears throat> ensigns under his command. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lower decks on lower decks. Lower decks. Lines. Time keepers yes is good i like that mm. oh intern time cops <laughs> anyway all right <laughs> let's let's move on to museum number two a menage i love a, menage. a menagerie <laughs> you know it's always fun when they're like hey zoos are bad <laughs> <laughs> that's always fun yeah, I'm going to say this, this zoo did not look like a particularly stimulating or healthy environment for any of those predators. No, no. Do better Looks than bad. I die. But I will say that I love that 
the zookeeper was a plant person because it's yes. like, to him it's like a botanical garden. You know, these aren't really people, they're just animals. Yeah. Animals. Yeah. But also he looked like a banana and then he was like, I have bones and I have this recurring nightmare where I bite into a banana and it has bones. So uh, that's why I didn't sleep well last night because my recurring nightmare returned thanks to the comedy Star Trek. Thanks, guys. R.I.P. Bananas in Pajamas. <laughs> a real struggle for me, to be honest. But yes, I love the, you know, the tribute to ye oldy classic original pilot Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Yep. Humans are just always getting caught in zoos. Because they're troublemakers. I mean, obviously. Uh, and I like that these humans seem to have a profit motive, which we are supposed to have evolved out of, but I guess not everyone was told. Well, to be fair, if I was put in a zoo... Mm, you would be wanting a cut? <laughs> yeah, it would be like, well, what are my options here? Mm, mm, if I mm. was in charge, at least I could be... You know, a consensual exhibit. A, cons yeah, a consensual exhibit. That's terrible. Oh and they gosh. leave them there, which is amazing. Yes. I mean, they only <laughs> leave them there until another ship has time to get them. Yes. So it's not like they're being imprisoned for life. It's probably. Yeah, they're, they're just like, we're not going to deal with these people. Someone, that's they're someone else's problem yeah. now. They're responsible for a death. So I think that a couple of weeks of inconvenience is a reasonable. Uh, yeah, yeah, we saw Banana Man die, but we also saw the right, Growlers, right. something. <laughs> they, who knows yeah. who Moopsie murdered? Okay, the fact that we're going to get to launch day next week and Moopsie won't instantly be available for sale in the Paramount store in both plushy form and like enamel pin form that we won't be able to buy Moopsie t-shirts is just a terrible indictment of Paramount as a company. Imagine a Moopsie hat. Oh my god. Oh my god. Someone is going to come up with a crochet pattern for a Moopsie hat and I'm going to try and make it. It's so easy to say what everyone wants. In 2027, they're going to release a tiny plush Moopsie as a Comic-Con exclusive, and that will be it. And they're also going to go after the person who created the crochet pattern for yes. Moopsie. Yes, they are going to shut down all the, the fan Moopsie merch. I am going to say Moopsie did nothing wrong. Moopsie is an animal, and... Moopsie is acting according to Moopsie's nature, just like when That's my right. cat freaks out and attacks someone. Though, like my cat, maybe Moopsie needs Prozac. Yeah, Moopsie is just being a Moopsie. Yeah. That's what Moopsies do. Moopsie is valid. And I did like that Ransom believed that Mariner didn't let Moopsie go. Yes. I also liked that Mariner is smart enough not to let Moopsie go. <laughs> because she knows mm. that... It looks like a cute little happy, sweet, mm. Mm. you know, cuddly creature, but that doesn't mean that it is one. She's met Tenny. Again, Mariner's smart. Yeah, yeah. But also I like <clears throat> that they avoided the whole predictable Ransom thinks that Mariner released Moopsie and they fight about it uh, mm -hmm. subplot. Because we already have one misunderstanding plot line. <laughs> we, and we, we don't, don't need, need more. more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I meant to ask, you You are a person who understands Pokemon. Yes, you are familiar with Pokemon yes, lore. Yes, I am familiar with Pokemon. Is Moopsie 
based on a Pokemon in design. Oh, because Moopsie has that look, but maybe yeah. it's just... I'm going to have to look at this now. Like, you know how it used to be 150, you got to catch them all. Now it's like, you know, 800 Pokemon. <laughs> so, so like, definitely there is going to be at least five Pokemon that look enough like Moopsie. But once you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen like a, you know, like a grass type Moopsie that I'm going to have to go find and uh, catch it, obviously. Obviously, yes. But also... If you can get some merch of that specific Pokemon and maybe like hack it right. to be a Moopsie. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I want a Moopsie. I want a Moopsie to hang out with my Murph. I think Poke that's reasonable. Oh, I think it's Moopsie. fully reasonable and the Murph situation will <laughs> never not make me angry. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, the whole, like, Paramount. Please. There are so many fans who work very hard to come up with amazing merchandise for your products. And I don't understand why you are shutting them down instead of hiring them and firing all of the losers <laughs> who are making this stuff for your, for your store. No yeah. one wants that. Like, just make it easier to get a license. I'm not saying you don't have any quality control. Just Absolutely. You, know. you get you get quality control, you get your cut. Yeah. Totally reasonable. We like I want to abolish copyright, but <laughs> uh, since we're not abolishing copyright, I am willing to pay, you know, your portion of something, but I just want good quality merchandise and yes. the stuff that is available through a Star Trek license, you know, with a few exceptions that are too expensive are cheap poorly designed stuff that i can make better mm -hmm. myself on canva like yeah it's just bad if nothing else i do think paramount's marketing department needs a, a paid canva account they deserve that much at least at least. Speaking of merch, let's talk about Boimler's Little Archer. Oh my goodness. First of all, the fact that he called him Little Archer. Yes. So I am friends with, um, she works for Trek Movie, I believe, yep. as well as being a journalist for other things. Lori, who has Lil Riker and is always like taking pictures of Lil Riker oh, doing stuff. And so that's instantly what I thought of. I was like, oh, wow, it's like this, you know, fan fun. We have done like the Cornwell pins go on vacation. Yes. Pictures. Yes. Even Kate McFadden has Lil Bev. So it's a thing. And I just love that it's now a canon thing for Boimler. And also, like he, he has Kirk and Spock too, I guess, or whatever. But Lil Archer is like mm. delightful. And specifically That is very sweet. It's specifically Mirror Mirror Universe. Archer, which yes. raises so many questions because that there is no overlap between the Mirror Universe and our universe in that specific Enterprise episode. So how do they know? But at the same time we know everything about the Mirror Universe by this point in the timeline. So Giorgio. We'll just say Giorgio for the everybody. Oh, she's she, so dear. She, she has a dartboard <laughs> of, of Archer. <laughs> and 
lands a little, so, a little shrine to Emperor, Emperor Sato, yes. Exactly. I was trying to get a good look at Boimler's third action figure because there's Lil Archer, there's a Spock in his movie uniform, mm-hmm. and then there's a character in a green-shouldered DS9 Voyager uniform with a phaser rifle, and I think it's Dax, but I'm not sure which Dax. Mm, interesting. And I couldn't get a yeah. I no, no, a, and there's no facial features or anything. It's it's only in the background. But I like to believe that it's Esri Dax. But also delightful that his Boimler has a cute little collection of Star Trek action figures that he carries around in his box of important things. Also featuring his poster of Una, yes. which I cried. <laughs> Like, all you see is a little a little corner of it and I, I was like oh I love love so much precious yes also precious Boimler and Rutherford rooming together yes and Rutherford's whole wait I can just ask for stuff I deserve no that does <laughs> sound fake but I understand I mean literally today I was talking about that at work <laughs> and being like no I can't mm. that's not how it works I have to prove myself somehow yeah yeah even though I'm you know teaching people who are my supervisor no I did a full day of work from home while recovering from food poisoning on Monday and it wasn't until Thursday afternoon that it was like I could have just taken that day off <laughs> yeah I could have used yeah but it's hard it's you don't that's not the way that we're taught I don't want to be unreliable I don't want to let people down and I don't want to put myself forward and I think Rutherford who has saved the ship so many times and yet feels he needs to earn his promotion through some incremental like we all need a tendy in our lives and, and also that he refused to be promoted until his friends were. Yes. Which, buddy, you are entitled to these things. Like, I promise it's okay for the black man to be promoted first. Or mother first. I love him. At least acknowledge that he saves the ship all the time and that he's actually very deserving of things. Yes. And Billups knows it. Um, yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Also, I love that Rutherford and Tendy's hobby is saying nice things about people behind their back. Once again, I think that we need to be more like them. It's just amazing. So great. I, I just like these characters in a way that I really didn't expect when Lower Decks first launched. We were so ambivalent about Boimler. We didn't really know or care about Rutherford. Like Mariner... Right was instantly our character and obviously she still is because she's amazing but Tendi I think I loved her because she was enthusiastic but also she was the other girl <laughs> no yes I mean I will say that when Lower Decks as a concept was mm. announced I was like I will watch that but I can't imagine really liking it no, like I'll, no. I'll enjoy it I'll enjoy it and I'll say the first season I enjoyed it and there were certain things that were really great but again, it was a stupid Borg episode that like changed my life, apparently, mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, wait, actually, I'm fully on board with this, not just as a Star Trek show, but as like, I care about these characters in a, I'm fully invested Yes. in, in what is happening to them. Yes. And 
I am still sort of surprised at that because as I told the Paramount people, <laughs> I don't like humor. <laughs> so I never expect to have a strong connection to anything mm. comedic. I think because these characters are rooted in real feelings and obviously they're absurd and it's a heightened reality, but we've all been the junior staff member, the ambitious kid, the burned out millennial who is feels like a, a mess, who doesn't understand right. how, how much their competence is appreciated. Like we've all been there. Right. So I was laughing throughout both of these episodes, especially yeah. Voyager one. I like could not <laughs> stop laughing throughout the Voyager episode. But the moments that I connected with were the were the ones that were earnest. Yes. <laughs> it was Boimler and a mariner talking while she was covered in goo. Mm. <laughs> and it was uh Tendi and Rutherford just supporting each other yes. <laughs> like going back and forth with who's going to support each other more and it was even it, it was it was poster again just made me cry <laughs> but then at the end of the first episode when when mariner tries to give up her pip mm. and she like goes into it and and he's like doing chin-ups yes. <laughs> to get her to leave because he knew that that would get her to leave <laughs> like i was just like this is hilarious and also so touchy in, in this weird way. I think that what makes Lower Decks remarkable, and I think what separates it from a lot of other animated comedies, is that it is deeply sincere. It's just as sincere about the ridiculous, over-the-top, stupid elements of Star Trek as it is about the characters. Yes, that's a perfect explanation. Because I don't like... The Simpsons or Futurama or even what it was it Rick and Morty is that the one one that yeah the same, that has the same like people yeah I don't like those shows because they are just humorous like I'm mm. sure there's sincerity to them but I never saw it they lost me because I mm. they didn't you know mm. and I didn't have a reason like it was Star Trek to to keep watching you and I are both fully like sincere about the ridiculousness of Star Trek yes. too. Yes. That's part of the fun. That's part of the magic mm. of Star Trek. The absurdity. I don't need it to make sense on an on a astrophysics level. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't I care do, about that. <laughs> I do find it hilarious when Lower Decks chooses to be scientifically accurate. But like, so I like so animated yes. comedies. I like The Simpsons. I like Futurama. I never watched Rick and Morty because I could tell that it was going to be made for me, but made for the worst impulses within me. Like I looked at the fandom and it was like, I see myself in you guys. But my favorite animated comedy is Daria, which rather infamously took a turn for the sincere and the dramedy in its last two seasons, rather than just being a high school comedy in animated form and I did you ever that. watch Clone High no but I knew you were about to think of it <laughs> Clone High is really good <laughs> because it is all about taking real people mm. and saying what if there was a, a clone of this real person who is now in high school <laughs> which is just amazing it's like a high school AU 
but of historic figures. Honestly, I have never watched it because I, like Rick and Morty, I am afraid that I will love it to an inappropriate degree and become that person. That's my level <laughs> of animation is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That and like Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. <laughs> Oh, you would 100% play Rock Talks Space Vet. Uh, I, I, yes, I would. Oh my God. Also, Rock Talks Holonauts... should hang out with Foster Stone for Imaginary Friends. Speaking of horror novels, I cannot believe that they brought Michael Sullivan back the same, the same week or within a week of The Greatest Generation doing Fairhaven. And my only disappointment with the premiere of Lower Decks is that they didn't get the original voice actors for The Clown and Chaotica and Michael Sullivan. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> delete me. Delete me. <laughs> that was perfection. That was just so much in this episode I couldn't stop. I miss my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> oh my goodness! Also, the level of detail that Dr. Chaotica had like film artifacts flickering in and out while he's on the bridge, that is just amazing. What perfect animation. Amazing. So like... good. I feel like that's it for now. We have six more episodes to go and <laughs> I, I'm kind and of... And we're like real because... Now my email address is is on the screen, yeah, which means that yeah. we're, we, we weren't added after the facts. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're like real now. Yeah. I saw that um, and I was like, are they cracking down? Because we also only got five views on our screeners, so we need to be a bit careful with those. We got 10 with Strange New Worlds, but it's, it's nice. I want to thank Paramount for giving us screeners and giving us screeners for an actually good Star Trek. It's I, I am I am fully delighted mm. with how the season has opened and again Lower Decks has really only gotten better. The people who are making this show love Star Trek and you can tell. Yes, and I feel like they love Star Trek in the same way that I love Star Trek. Whereas I often don't feel that with Picard or Strange New Worlds, where they love Star Trek in a totally legitimate way. There's no wrong way to be a Star Trek fan, mm. but we just don't quite vibe. Whereas I think I would have fun having a drink with the Lower Decks writer's room and going, okay, but what about this Voyager deep cut? What <laughs> happened to that Borg baby? <laughs> yes. Mm. Always, always the Borg baby. Oh my God. But what if the Borg baby is the villain for this season? <laughs> Amazing. You heard it here the first, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all at Antimatterpod, and on Mastodon at, at antimatterpod at tenforward.social. If you like us, leave us a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. Or just tell a friend. And join us next week for the new episode of Lower Decks in the Cradle of Vexalon. Amazing.